Welcome to Meet the Thriller Author, the go-to podcast for delving into the minds behind the most gripping mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels. As a fellow thriller writer and your guide, I'm Alan Peterson, and I invite you to explore nearly a decade of conversations with the giants of the genre, from Lee Child to Dean Koontz, Walter Mosley, Tess Gerritsen, and more, all available over at thrillingreads.com. There you'll find a treasure trove of show notes, transcripts, and direct links to my novels, adding to your experience of the thriller universe. I'm glad to bring back the podcast after a couple months uh, hiatus. I have a great lineup of new interviews coming up to you this year, so stay tuned for those. In this episode, number 196, I welcome back Nick Petrie. His first novel, The Drifter, won the ITW Thriller and Barry Awards and was nominated for Edgar, Anthony, and Hammond Awards. The eighth book in the Peter Ash series, The Price You Pay, will be published on February 6th, so make sure to go get your copy. It was another action-packed thriller from Nick, who uh, writes some of the most high-octane scenes from places and using regular everyday items. Reminds me a little bit of MacGyver, but lethal. So uh, make sure to pick up The Price You Pay. It was a lot of fun reading that uh, that thriller. Uh, so join me as I dive into a riveting conversation with uh, Nick Petri. Hey, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the podcast, I'm welcoming back uh, Nick uh, Petri, who is the author of the best-selling uh, Peter Ash uh, series, uh, the eighth book in that uh, series, The Price You Pay, will be coming out in February 6th, 2024, but it is available for pre-order right now. Uh, so, uh, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a, it's a, uh, we talked uh, last time we chatted was about a year ago. You had the seventh book coming out and now here's the number eight. Uh, so it must be exciting. And I, I, I was kind of wondering, too, when you when you first started writing the series, uh, the first book was The Drifter, right? That's a, right. Did you were you envisioning a long series, hoping? How does that work when you're pitching this? <laughs> not, not at all. I I did not. Well, I, I didn't think that book would ever get published because I'd written three previous books that couldn't get published, and so why would this one be any different? Um, but I didn't think of it as a as a the start of a series. I, but there must have been something in the DNA of the book. I, I love series. I read series. Um, and my agent got hold of it, and she said, "So you're going to write the next one, right?" And I'm like uh sure yeah i can do that uh which is the answer i try to provide at all times is sure yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i can do that right <laughs> yeah as my, my wife says just say yes <laughs> um so you know it, but it's interesting right because so now i'm you know book eight this is has become uh, the long-running series and it's a challenge to sort of find a sort of the another way to approach the characters some something new to throw at them um, and, a, and a way to continue to develop them, right? Because my, my readers in particular are interested in character. These are, these have become, uh, surprisingly to me, really beloved characters. So I, I had somebody online suggest I, I, I kill off Peter's girlfriend because she was too bossy. <laughs> and, and there was, there was a little bit of pushback. I, I thought that was sort of interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, is it what? Is it that something that people complain that too? Now, if you do that, then other people will be upset with you for doing it. So, <laughs> well, and it's right. The challenge of a series is that you know the protagonist is going to survive, and you know if you have these recurring characters that have been through all the previous books, you know you're pretty sure they're going to survive too. So, how do you keep that? Keep it feeling risky. Keep feeling the the tension, uh, and and. You know, one is to sort of, you know, try really hard to kill your characters and see what happens. Yeah, is that the is that but when you when you're writing these, when you start getting the idea for uh, a new idea for a new book, uh, do you right away know oh, this is going to be a Peter Ash, or do you, are, are you? How does that work when the idea first comes to you? Well, 
I mean, the, the, the beauty of the series from a writer's standpoint is that it's very flexible, right? The, the books are, are set in uh, a whole bunch of different locations. There's no fixed spot. I'm not like Robert Parker writing about Boston, um, you know, or, or, you know, Robert Crace writing about LA. I, I, Peter can go anywhere. He's been to Iceland. Uh, he's been to Memphis. He's been to California. Um, so, you know, that there's all of this flexibility built into it. And there's only three recurring characters really, um, that are, you know, that really get a lot of page time. Um, so I, I get to, I get to add all kinds of other elements, right. To, to, to help, it helps me keep the books fresh. It keeps the books unique to each other. Um, so there are a lot of stories that can certainly be, uh, Peter Ash novels, but uh, you know, I, I do have a couple in mind. I'm actually working on one right now that's not a, a Peter book because I just wanted that character to be, uh, you know, kind of more of a mess. You know, Peter Peter is a heroic character and it's fun to write, um, but I wanted to write somebody who you know didn't have such a strong sense of right and wrong. I wanted to write somebody who was kind of a screw up, um, and so that's that's the the thing I'm working on at, at this very moment. Uh, but the, so so to get back to the price you pay, which is the new book, the the, the thing that I've done differently with this is uh, Lewis, who is Peter's best friend, um, in Peter's mind, the most dangerous man he's ever met. Uh, P- Lewis is the one who comes to Peter's rescue when things get really hairy. And um, in the price you pay, I, I wanted uh, Lewis to be the one who was in trouble. And so Peter comes to the rescue. So in this book, um, Peter's or Lewis's past comes back to haunt it. Lewis is a career criminal who's yeah, mostly retired, um, but his past comes back to haunt him. And I wanted Peter to be, you know, sort of to, to ride along with, to see Lewis's former life. And so that I, that's sort of what I've done with this book. Yeah, so it was a, fun. It was a, when when I was uh, reading, it was uh, like the last one was like a little small town, Nebraska. And now here we're in like in Chicago and in the, in the, um, the crime, the underworld there of Chicago. Um, so that, it makes them real, real fun. Like you said, like, so like, like the location becomes kind of a big part of the, of each new book. Um, yeah. I'm super interested in setting. And, and I think setting, if you, if you lean into it, it really becomes uh, a, a character of its own. Um, you know, the, the, the book that I wrote, um, it, uh, Burning Bright, the second book, which is set in California and Oregon and, and Seattle has a very different flavor to you know the the first book set in Milwaukee or the book set uh, the third book set in in Colorado um, just because that right there's also uh, topics that I'm interested in right so every book had sort of sort of diving into something whether it's emerging technology or the new well, that's no longer so new but the you know legal cannabis um, that's the Colorado book um, or you know race in class that's the book that that I said in Memphis. So I'm always starting with sort of being interested in some kind of thing. And I sort of picked a location as a way to highlight that issue that I'm, I'm trying to tell a story around. Um, I mean, I, these are not, uh, you know, the, this is social commentary in the way that all crime fiction is, is social commentary. But it's not a I'm not trying to hit you over the head with a solution. I'm, I'm trying to tell a fast, fun story that uh, is about something right that has some content to it. It's not just, you know good guys and bad guys beating each other up although there is that too and so when the what's your process then like when you first get the idea for so like for um for the price you pay uh when you get the idea do you like outline what's uh how, how do you start start working on it and how long does the process take for you 
I would love to be an outliner. Um, I think that would be a much more efficient way to write a book. Uh, I have often said that uh, the way that I write a book is the uh, worst way for me to write a book aside from every other way that I have tried. Um, I am a total pantser. I start with barely an idea. Um, this one is a, has a little bit more of an idea than others because I knew I wanted uh, kind of Lewis and Peter to kind of reverse roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, mostly I start with a circumstance. I start with a situation. And uh, I just try to, and there's all, you know, like all writers, I have sort of th- stuff I'm thinking about, something I've read that's kind of stuck in my mind or, um, you know, a story in the news or whatever. Um, and I just, I just keep going and I keep trying to interest myself. I keep trying to, you know, I have some tension on the page and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of entertain myself. And if I can entertain myself, I can entertain a reader, at least in theory. Now, I remember that uh, we talked last, you had a lot of jobs before you started writing. Is that uh, something that you, did you always want to write? Or is that always oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I was the editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper. Oh, okay. Um, and and that, being that, allowed me to write an eight-part soap opera my senior year, uh, featuring all of my friends and enemies. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, when the paper came out, people would stop me in the hallway and say, oh, this was really funny, or, oh, I, you know, you know, they would comment on, you know, what I'd written. And I'd already had taken a couple of creative writing classes, but that was sort of like, oh, to have people actually read this weird stuff coming out of my head. Um, <laughs> I, I I got hooked. So I, my undergraduate degree is in creative writing and American culture. Um, so I'm one of the few people actually use their college degree for a living, <laughs> uh, which is weird. Um, and I, you know, I, along the way, I got a master's in fine arts and, and I mean, I've really have been writing forever. I've written a bunch of short stories um, I wrote three books I couldn't get published before the first one, as I said. So, um, you know, I think that's a key ingredient to a life in publishing is you you would do it whether you got paid or not. Um, and I, I mean, that's definitely where I am because I did it without getting paid for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you get, then you become the overnight success, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. The 25 year overnight success. <laughs> Uh, uh, how how do you what, like the MFA program? What was that like? You, is that something that, uh, that that you enjoyed going through that? Because those, those are pretty tough. <laughs> well, it was interesting because I, I was. I mean, in the early days, I did not. You know, I didn't really want to write crime fiction per se. You know, I when I was in high school, I wanted to be Ernest Hemingway. Uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be Jim Harrison, and and, and afterward, I wanted to be Cormac McCarthy. So, you know, I, I, I always had sort of big ambitions, but I'm not sure that what I wrote sort of fit that. And I grew up reading crime fiction. I grew up on sci-fi and fantasy, which is very story-driven stuff. Um, and in my first, when I, I turned in my first story for that first seminar in my MFA, um, my, my professor said, um, you write the kind of stuff that people are actually gonna read and it wasn't a compliment. Uh, it was the kind of place where it was like very ivory tower. And like, you know, we had somebody who'd already won a push guard prize at 22. Um, you know, people really trying to write, you know, um, family dramas, you know, really, you know, kind of all across the board. But, you know, I learned what I got the most out of it was the community of people to whom writing was important. Right. And you can you can get that. I, I'm not sure it was worth the money I spent on, on an MFA, but you can get that at a writer's conference. Right. You can get that by going to VoucherCon. You can um, 
but I'm not sure I got much real feedback as a writer that I really took away. Um, I, I think for me, I learned to write by reading. I learned to write by, I mean, I, and I, I still read a lot. I, I'll, I read a hundred books a year. I, I start probably uh, twice that number and I'll read a couple of chapters and I'll either, you know, I'll put it down or sometimes throw it across the room if I get really annoyed. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction that, that I'll read, you know, I'll read half a book or, or a third of a book, um, but I will finish, you know, literally a hundred books a year and plus periodicals and everything else. And, and because you, you want to get soaked in story. You, you want to, you want to know how story works. And, and, you know, for me, that's, that, that was my best teacher was to read good stuff. Yeah. And so what was the, what was the, uh, the turning point for you then? Cause I would imagine, yeah, like uh, those MFAs probably aren't too big on, too big, much fans of like genre fiction. Well, what started making you think, oh, maybe I'll try write a, a crime thriller. And who were like some of the writer, uh, some of the uh, authors that inspired you and that you liked and you were reading them? Oh, well, I, I mean, I grew up reading uh, Robert Parker, those Spencer books. I, I, I still go back and reread. Um, uh, Elmore Leonard, when I was in high school and college, uh, his stuff is fantastic. I, I can't believe that there are a lot of people who still don't really know who he is, but he was a very big deal in the 80s and 90s. Um, he had something like 10 of his books were made into movies. Um, super talented, tight crime writer. Um, who else did I read? Like Travis McGee, um, you know, the John D. McDonald series. Um, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff from the, the 80s and, and 90s were really uh, influential to me. And I, and I still read, you know, Robert Crace, whose first book, The Monkey's Raincoat, came out when I was in college. I have read every single book of his as it came out for his entire career. Uh, and he's, again, a super talented guy, obviously. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I read my friends. Um, I, I read uh, some of the big names if, they're, if I think it's a big book. Um, on my newsletter, actually, I, I just did a, a Christmas edition where I gave out some, some uh, recommended some books for gifts. Um, and I try to recommend people who are uh, either just starting out or who are not super well known. But uh, I ended up shouting out two of Michael Connolly's books because he, I think, is still really stretching. He's still trying new things. He's pushing his characters. He's pushing himself. Um, you know, it's a, it's sort of a commonplace in, in the world of crime fiction that Michael Connelly is, you know, one of the best, but to like, to really see it, to go back and be like, wow, like, and, and I will take a book apart, uh, I, a couple times a year, I'll, 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 uh, I'll find a book I really like and I'll go, and then I'll go back and read it again and I'll outline it. Mm -hmm. And then you can really see the bones of how a book works. You know, you can, it, it's, it's, you know, chapter by chapter, just a couple of lines, what happens, um, you know, what the emotional content is, what the plot content is. Um, you know, if there are clues or whatever, I'll, I'll note that and how many pages. And so like, you can really learn great mechanics that way. Like how many chapters can you go between, you know, if you have two points of view and you're alternating, how long can you go between those points of view without losing the second one? Right. Uh, you know, what's the good, what's a good ratio for, for going back and forth. I mean, it means ba basic stuff like that, um, which is, I think kind of hard to learn. Um, you just have to sort of feel your way through it. But if you can, if you can break down a book, if you can beat line a book that you really like, you can, you can really see the bones of how it works. That's a, that's also a really good way to learn how to write novels. Yeah. That's a great idea. It's like a re reverse engineering it basically. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that myself as well too. And like you said, just this little synopsis, you know, a little word, word doc, and then just 
chapter one, chapter two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing, so yeah, yeah. It's a good advice for uh, for because I know a lot of aspiring writers listen to this podcast. So yeah, good. And that's one thing I hear too. Sometimes you hear. Um, I've interviewed people that are like, well, I don't like to read them in my own genre because I get worried. Like, I can't. I don't understand that. I love crime thrillers, and I'm a, I'm a fan first. I could never just give it up because I'm worried, you know, I'm copying somebody or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I sort of understand that. Um, I mean, I also am a fan first for sure. And that one of the problems, and you probably have this problem too, is that once you become a professional writer, uh, reading changes, mm-hmm. right? That, that reading becomes part of the work. So, but for me, if I can find a book that I just want to stretch out on the couch and, and, and I stop analyzing it as I go, like to me, that is a rare pleasure. And so I have a, I have a short list of those authors who, um, I can just fall into, uh, their, their books, um, without having to, you know, take them apart and put them back together in my head. Yeah. And now, so you were saying that you, you, you're, you're, you, you start writing your book, you're not knowing where it's going to go. Um, how do you keep yourself? I mean, do you, do you have like word count goals then? How do you keep moving forward? If, um, do you ever I, get I do have, I, I do have word count goals. I, I really show up every day and I don't, you know, I, I'm, my, my goal is a thousand words a day. I have lots of days where I'm, where I'm hitting 15, 16, 1700 words. My, my, um, my record is 4,000. I've only done it once and I haven't come close. It was just sort of a rare day. Um, but you know, there are plenty of days where it's like, I have to figure something out. So I will just park my butt in my chair with a notebook and just start scribbling. Um, or I'll open a new document and I'll just start, sort of start writing in all caps about, so what am I trying to do here? And, uh, you know, it's really sort of talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also got a big uh, artist pad, which is out of reach here, I'd show you, but um, where uh, there's no lines. So if I need to uh, draw a picture of a parking lot where something happens, right? If I need to diagram where the cars are and where the, where the, the you know, the door to the bar is or whatever else, um, it helps me visualize. Or if I'm working on plot or story, you know, it's a, it's a big piece of paper. It's a 17 by 11. Um, so you can, you can draw arrows and, and, you know, connect things because that's a big piece of what we do as writers is to make sort of unlikely connections. Um, so, you know, I'll have those days too, where I just, I just, I know I'm not going to get my work done. I know I'm not going to move the, move the book forward, but those are necessary days for me. Um, and I kind of build those in, um, because there's a lot of head scratching. Um, you know, I think, I think for, for outliners, they do all that head scratching in the beginning, at least in theory. Um, you know, outlining for me is, is, uh, it's like once I've tried it, once I'm done with an outline, I'm, I'm done with the book I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, what's the, there's a great, uh, I've got it up on my wall here. If I can find it, a great Tennessee Williams quote. Um, Oh, I got it. Where the hell is it? I have all these quotes up on my wall. Uh, just keep the thing going any way you can. If you have to pull out a gun in the second act, do it. That's, that's Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Do you work, you do work through the whole first draft first, or do you go back as you're writing it or? I go, but there are certain chunks. I mean, I always revise the, the couple days before. Um, and I find that to be really necessary because I'm just sort of lurching forward. And then I'm like, oh, no, actually, this is how this conversation should work. Or, you know, where's the where's the emotion here? I have to find this emotional piece. Um, so I, I probably spend a third of my day revising the last two days worth of work and then and then pushing forward. 
Um, but then I'll get I'll get stuck, and to me, getting stuck is a signal that I've made a I, I've made a wrong turn, or I've forgotten something. And so I'll kind of work my way backward to be like, yeah, you know, to look at those choices. You know, did I make a did I make the wrong choice? Did I forget something? Is this is this character not the right character for here? Um, and then if I if I can't figure that out, then I go all the way back to the beginning, and I just edit my way forward again. And, and I find that that process is really important. You know, once I'm, you know, to, after the first act, after the second act, partway into the third act, I, I just like, I have to like, you, you leave yourself these little clues about what's going to happen that, that you don't know you're dropping, but it's like, Oh, you know, on, on, uh, you know, on page 50, I, 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 wrote, I just included this rando little detail, but if I tweak it, I can use it there for that other thing. So you, you, I mean, for me, I learn what some of my subconscious intentions were by going back to the beginning. And then by the time I'm, I'm at the end, what I really have is a couple pages of notes that I have to go back and integrate because I wanted to keep my momentum. So, oh yeah. And in the, in this scene, you know, the, the car chase should end like this, not like that. Right. Or, um, or this character needs to be, I need to go back and, and change the, the initial description to match the way the character evolved, uh, you know, as the book went forward. Um, so I, like, I have some of that stuff that I don't, I just don't want to blow momentum. Um, but then, you know, by the time I get to the end, I have really 10 days, two weeks worth of edits, and then it's out the door uh, to my editor. Oh, that's you're really right, pretty clean then, even, even though you're going back and all that. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's. I mean, part of it is going back is cleaning up, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I have I have friends who, um, you know, they write a really dirty, bad forty thousand word draft, and then they go over it again and they add they add a layer of place. You know, the first draft is just basically dialogue and action. The second draft they layer in, you know, place and location and some of those details. And the the third draft they they layer in, uh, you know, it's a historical novel, so they lay in the history piece. Um, you know, oh, the, what the car needs to be a Model T and blah blah blah, right? Um, like to me, that I, I could never function that way. Yeah. Um, so I've always got a half dozen uh, windows open on my browser. Of, you know, of, gee, I'm researching fentanyl. You know, I'm researching, uh, you know, cannabis. How how to you know cannabis grows? I'm researching, um, you know, whatever. And so I kind of research along the way. And by the time I get to the end, I, I, I always spend a lot of attention on sentences and paragraphs and dialogue. I really, I, to me, that's really important. The quality of the, of the prose of the language has always been important to me as a writer. Um, so that's probably, it's probably the biggest time waster as a writer is like, oh, I just want this to be just right. Um, I, I had an editor once who was like, yeah, Nick, nobody cares. <laughs> like you were the only person who notices, but, uh, but I do notice, right. Yeah. It's important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I have friends who are writers and I know they're going to read my stuff and I want them to write. I'm, I'm you know, you write for your, for your friends in, in a way as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the, so-and-so is going to pick it, pick that up. So I mean, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> yeah. And so now with your research too, like, I'm kind of curious cause you know, like your books, you know, with the Peter Ash books are always set in, in different, different areas. Uh, do you usually do you do you write about places that you've been to, or do you, you, you if you haven't been there, you just research it online, or how does that work? Um, well, no, I go every place oh, that I'm that I'm writing about. Oh yeah, no, I find that to be really important. Uh, sometimes there are places I've been to 
but then I go back. Sometimes they are places I want to go. Um, so I'd never been to Colorado. So that you know, was an excuse to go drive around Denver and go visit a bunch of cannabis operations and, and take a backpacking trip with my son. And, um, but I, you, you know, when you're there, you get stuff that you will never get online. I don't think there's really a substitute for it. So, you know, in, in, in Colorado, it was the, the fact that in, in Denver, the streets are really wide and the, and you can see, um, you can see the Rockies, if you look west from pretty much any street anywhere, they're so big and they're so they, they just dominate. And so it really gave the city a Western feel. And so that book actually ended up kind of being a Western in a way. Um, the, the book about Memphis, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, you know, to, to the, the, the detail I, I, I think I used that was the most evocative is, is when I was there, there are all these flowering trees. So they're beautiful, but the, but the flowers were all falling off the trees and they were rotting in the gutter. And it was a sort of this funky putrid floral smell. Uh, and, and that was a book about, you know, race and class and set in Memphis. And so, you know, just the metaphor of these things that you, that you bump into by accident that, I mean, I would never have occurred to me that that, 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 that would be part of Memphis is the smell of these flowers rotting in the street. Um, but I, again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a detail person. I'm really interested in, having these books be evocative, right? I want you to feel like you have fallen into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's the other reason why I think everybody should really go research the places they, that, that they're writing about. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, you're not going to get that from uh, Google Street, uh, Google Maps. <laughs> no, no, I mean, and and, and, and not to, I, I do spend a lot of time on, on Google Maps. I spend yeah. a lot of time on Street <laughs> View. Um, and that, those are super useful tools for every writer. But to me, that's the place to begin. That's not the place to end. And so now with um, in, in the price you pay, uh, the setting in Chicago, uh, I know you're not too far away in Milwaukee. So did, do you know Chicago well, or did you go over there I, I, to research for this one? Oh, I definitely, I, there, I drove around some really um, sketchy neighborhoods. I was going to ask about that too, because Chicago's the news a lot lately. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, Chicago is, is super interesting. Um, you know, Milwaukee has sort of a little brother, uh, uh, you know, feeling about, about Chicago. Um, but you know, Chicago is the big city, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I love to drive around terrible neighborhoods. It drives my wife nuts when I go. Um, but I, you know, it's not like I'm driving a nice car. I'm driving my, my, you know, 17 year old Honda minivan. So it's not, I'm not worried about, you know, you know, appearing to be too affluent (laughs) or any of those things. Uh, and, and the, the other thing about, about that is that, you know, we have these, these, uh, suppositions about those neighborhoods that like everybody is, you know, gunfire is going off at all times and you're going to get robbed on every street corner. And the fact is 99% of the people in those neighborhoods are just trying to, you know, go about their day. They're trying to get to the grocery store. They're trying to get to work. They're trying to live their lives. Um, and to me, I think that's a really important piece of, you know, writing crime fiction is that like it's, it's in the middle of a real, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's in the middle of the real world, right? I, I want these books to feel realistic that you're dropped right into something and you're learning something. Um, but you know, my characters are not supermen. My characters are not invulnerable. Um, I, I want people to identify with them. Right. And, and it's a little kind of hard to identify with a superman. Yeah. I think that's what makes it fun too. Yeah. Cause like you said, they're not perfect. They have, you know, there's problems and issues and, and, and that makes it more fun to read than, 
you know, like you said, they're perfect or Superman or whatever, like a Marvel movie. <laughs> right. Well, I, and again, I, I appreciate that you find them fun to read because I, I, to me, I think that's important stuff. Yeah. And so now, uh, before I let you go and everything, and now you were saying too about um, you're working on a new book. Uh, uh, so I, 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 are you, are you going to be working on another Peter Ash in the future? Or? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so not done with Peter. One of the interesting things about writing a standalone was I was really realizing how much I love Peter and the other characters in these books and how much of myself I put into those books. Um, writing something different after, after eight Peter Ash books has been really a challenge. Um, and, uh, I am, I am not interested in being finished with Peter any, anytime soon. And, uh, so, well, when does the, uh, when does your next one, so this, the, the pressure pay comes out in February. And so the other one was that going to come out next year too, or, or? Uh, if I finish it on time, <laughs> and I did get a copy from your publicist. So oh, excellent. 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 Been enjoying that. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, like I said, I do have a lot of aspiring writers that listen to this. And so I always like to ask my guests before I let them go. Uh, like, I know we've been talking about, you've been giving some great advice, but some, just some advice for somebody who wants to write thrillers and mysteries and suspense type novels. I, I guess the, I, I would, I would give advice to a larger group of people, I guess. I think writing is really hard, right? And you, you have to, you have to give up a lot of stuff to have the time. It takes a long time to learn to be a writer. It takes a long time to write a book, um, unless you're one of the very lucky people who, you know, you're, you're 22 and you, you can write a book in three months. And in which case, God bless you. And I hope never to meet you. Um, <laughs> cause that is not me. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, it's hard to do. And I, I think, you know, what I want my work to feel like when you're reading it is I want it to feel effortless, right? I want it to feel like it, like you're just, you're blowing through it. Um, and I think that's a quality that all of our favorite writers have is that it, you're just in the, in really good company and you're having a really good time, but that's not what the process of writing is like. So if you feel like, man, this is really hard and I'm never going to get good at it. You know, I I've written, I, you know, I got eight books published and, and I still feel like that on a daily basis. I'm in contact with a number of writers. I, I have a, a phone calls that I make on, a, you know, every week or two to other writers. And we, it's hard for everybody. I, there's a great interview with Lee Child, who is, is you know, kind of the granddaddy. Um, he's no longer writing uh, those Reacher books anymore, but there's a great interview. It was what, uh, two or three years before he passed the torch to his brother, um, where he said every book he sits down and he, he's afraid he's lost it. It's like, you know, he's written 20 books, but yeah, I, I don't know. Can I do it again? And like that, to me, that was so freeing to know that even Lee Child, who is such a stylist and who has been, you know, those, those books are, you know, so widely read and they're so well written that like he, he is struggling too. And so I guess that's for me, the message is that, is that yes, you, you need to write something that's interesting to you. That feels like you don't look for a niche in the market and fill it, write the thing that you want to read but also know that that it's hard and and if, if you're struggling like just keep going like that's that is my mantra every day is just keep showing up at the page keep trying to move that story forward and you will get there you will get there if you keep showing up yeah that's a great advice and like you said it took you 20 to 25 years you know sure <laughs> and, you know and, and i know i mean i know a whole bunch of writers who i mean all right i read three books i couldn't get published that's a kind of a normal story Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and people who are now household names, you know, had that same 
you know, long challenge. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming back to the podcast and uh, talking to us about uh, your new book and what you've been up to. It's been uh, very nice catching up with you again. Uh, Likewise. It's my pleasure, Alan, and thanks for having me back. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review it on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback makes all the difference in connecting with fellow Thriller fans. Go to thrillingweeds.com for show notes, transcripts, and to sign up for exclusive access to giveaways, discounts, and outstanding book recommendations. Until next time, keep the pages turning and keep the mysteries unraveling.